You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. This week, stories about birds and beetles. The natural world is something I have a deep appreciation for. It's gonna make me sound like a tree-hugging hippie, but I do believe spending time in nature, paying actual attention to it, is an experience in itself. So I'm very glad that we're going to be bringing you up close and personal with some critters and creatures in this week's episode. In our first story, Algernon tells us all about his world, the way he experiences it with his body and mouth. The descriptions in this story are unusual and visceral, leaving us to question the kind of being that Algernon is. A warning for this story for misophonia, as there are sounds like lip-smacking present. And a general heads up for this story, there is a bit of disturbing imagery and a lot of detailed insect talk. This is an immersive story that comes to life through headphones. So, if you have some nearby, we recommend that you plug them in when having a listen. sneaking man you'd probably step on. Tunneling all this time has made me squat and sideways. And my feet curve up at the edges to meet the bow of the floor. I've got sharp teeth for unseeming worms up their sides. I've got long nails for scratching out stones. You probably wouldn't like me. We wouldn't get on, no. You've got that nice milk-white face and all those pretty teeth that stick straight down. I've got teeth that stick forward and my lip on top is like a woman sleeping. I don't need to chew much. My tongue is quite strong, and she can see anything. She's my eye. She goes wiping all over everything I find. I've been in the dark all this time. My senses are really dull. You put your hands on my cheeks, and I feel nothing. When I tunnel, I press my cheeks to the walls and push myself along so I don't fall. 
and all the feelings rubbed out of them. Sometimes I thaw my cheek with my tongue and taste blood. My hands can feel shapes, but not heat or cold. You probably think they were gross and rubbery. All my nerves are in my tongue. It's strong and wet and warm. It can feel around anything. If you could map my mind, my tongue would take up half. When I find something, I put it straight in my mouth and my tongue gets to work. She wriggles around and stretches out in a way your tongue probably wouldn't do. She can find any crevice or crack in anything and investigate it. My tongue can tell anything. I could tell a dozen different fingerprints apart. You probably couldn't tell what kind of beetle you were feeling with your tongue. You don't know the papery wing beat of a black beetle or the little hairs on a biscuit beetle's back. You don't know the way a millipede's legs prickle against the surface in that drum pattern. I've gotten so good at feeling their vibrations with my tongue on the wall. I can feel their tiny tremors, like little earthquakes, and each one has their own frequency. If a beetle is in my hair, I can hear his breathy, high-pitched voice, like it's very far away. It's really quiet down here. Just the feel of a vibration in the wall is enough to make me hungry. I find things to eat and I can tell the good from the bad. Sometimes I like a beetle that opens up at the edge with oily beetle flesh inside. Sometimes I like worm to crush against the roof of my mouth. I know different worms, and when I feel the warmth at their centre, I know they've been up above in the hot green grass. I'm much closer to the surface than you think. I've sucked on dandelion roots. I've laid on my back and stuck my long tongue into citrusy compost and coffee grounds. I found a skeleton once. I must have been in a graveyard. It was stony soil. My tongue remembers that taste of limestone and old wisteria. I etched it into the packed earth with my long nails. I found the round egg of his skull. And now my tongue remembers that smooth stick of bone.
I hooked my tongue into his eye, and I also held a piece of his spine in my mouth, rotating it around and around until I had mapped it in my head. I have good memory because it's dark and things that happen in the dark are much more real and stay fresh in my mind. It's really dark down here. Sometimes I can find little bugs that glow and then I can see the scuff marks my hands make on the walls. But then my eyes hurt, so I avoid them. There is always another way to get around them. My tunnels go on forever and ever. I bet I have a tunnel under every house you have lived in. I even have tunnels under the ocean, although to cross these takes several days, so I rarely use them. I am worried that one day I will tunnel too close to the ocean floor and the ceiling will break open and all my tunnels will fill with salty water. I like salt. I sometimes find small salt deposits and that is like a special occasion and I wear them down slowly with my tongue. I come back each day and lick the salt away a little more. I like the way the crystals rub into nothing against the roof of my mouth. When all the salt is gone, it leaves the walls in warped patterns and I feel mineral dust on my face when I go past. It makes me sad to go a long time without any salt. I can taste salt in the soil when it is near and it's very exciting. I bet you're jealous of me. I bet you can't tell rocks apart with your tongue. But you still wouldn't talk to me. No, no. You think you are very special. I know special things. I'm always looking for things to add to my collection. My tongue always knows when something is special. You like glittery gems, yes? All the time I am telling you about beetles and you're thinking about the gems I have found. My tongue remembers the glass glide of a sapphire curling around its cold surfaces. I tunnel straight down and I feel a hard nugget of sapphire knocked against my shoulder and I put it in my mouth. I feel it with my tongue. A gem is just like a beetle without a heartbeat. A beetle's heartbeat is very calming. Sometimes I will carry a beetle around in my mouth, just listening to the little thrumming sounds of its heart.
I found a cricket in an ant's nest. And when I licked all the ants off, I carried him around in my mouth for days. Feeling the air whistling through his pipes and the spines on his back legs knocking against my throat as he sprung and sprung. It was electric. I was sad when I had to swallow him at last. My tongue remembers heavy diamond, weighty and strong, with tiny grooves that your tongue probably couldn't feel. I know gems very well now, and I'm always finding them. I dig them out of the ground and suck the earth away from them without even thinking about it. I'm sure you'd like one. And if you would come here, you could take as many as you like, but you won't visit me. You think you're too good for beetles, but take the gems anyway. They bore me to death. I don't like metal either. Its jagged edges cut my skin and it has a slippery, scraping feeling in my mouth. Iron is bloody and I can smell it from a long distance. It repulses me. The only metal I like is bismuth. I could spend so long mapping out only a little piece of bismuth with a thousand square corners and angles. It presses against the backs of my bottom teeth and my tongue glides back and forth, fluttering over its endless sharp ridges. And when I tunnel under the ocean, I always take a piece of bismuth to keep me occupied. I am making tunnels in Italy at the moment. I have been in Italy a long time now because there are the best bugs. They have chirping melodic voices and their vibrations are bright. My favourite are the cicada nymphs, soft and sugary. At night, they crawl in thousands to the surface, like wax dripping upwards. I like the rumblings of the volcanoes that come up into my flat feet and make me shiver. I like how warm the soil gets in summer and the taste of olive in season. I think I'll stay here a while longer. I am so old. I was probably born before your grandfather. 
you probably would not help me in the street. And you probably wouldn't get any joy out of a beetle. Well, that is your business. That story was produced by Zoe Lamarinel. Phoebe Adler-Ryan was the supervising producer. Sound design and editing was by Lana Lucina, and Peter Lloyd was the voice actor. In our next story, Selena takes a spontaneous trip to Berlin to study the music of birds with the Nightingale Man. So a scientist wants to know the answer, why birds sing? And this you can read in most biology textbooks. Birds sing to defend territories and attract mates. The male birds are doing the singing and the females are listening to see if they like it. And other males are listening to see if you're encroaching on my territory. And that's the generally accepted explanation. And it's true. In 2014, I was living and studying in a small town in Sweden. I lived in a tiny, single-room apartment with a frail single bed. It had been advertised as student accommodation, but it was actually a repurposed hotel room on a sterile grey street. When I moved there, it was deep winter, like Swedish winter. Everything was dark and frozen, and there was not a single bird. For the length of my exchange, I found the Swedish town boring and stuffy, and I found it particularly difficult to make friends with Swedes. I felt like I wasn't in my natural habitat. Why does a nightingale need to sing all night, whereas a hermit thrush just needs to sing a few phrases during the day? It's for the same function, doing the same thing, but using very different tools. Why this specific difference? Where does the nature of the difference come from? And that's a question, an aesthetic question, that most biologists don't look deeply into. The uni subjects I was studying had nothing to do with birds or why they sing. But on one afternoon, we were invited to hear a guest lecturer speak on that exact topic. I had no roots in biology or ornithology, but I decided to go along and listen to Professor David Rothenberg from the US, a Harvard graduate and a professor in music and philosophy, but with a special pursuit. What do I think of the term interspecies musician? You know, that's a kind of interesting word because no one knows what it means. And, you know, is that the same as a multicultural musician or an intercultural musician? Or, you know, I like the idea. David plays jazz with animals, birds, insects, even whales. And the beautiful thing is that according to him, sometimes these animals sing back. His most responsive collaborator is the nightingale. I was totally absorbed by his lecture. He showed videos of notes coming out of his clarinet and birds acknowledging him, heads nodding, beaks chirping, and then releasing their own bird song in return, like in this clip from the BBC. This interspecies jamming session so excited David that he embarked on a quest to commune with as many birds as possible. So I listened to the musical call and response, but 
I wasn't sure I could hear what David was claiming. That the birds he played with were recognising his music and singing back. He wrapped up the lecture, but before packing up, David mentioned he was going to Berlin that weekend. He was planning a nocturnal mission to chase after nightingales in a particular park where they nest for only three weeks of the year. I was pretty desperate for a change of scenery, so I asked, can I join? It's a Friday night in Berlin, and around me drunk people stumble over broken glass stomped into the pavement, chanting and celebrating in big groups. This particular night is May 9th, also known as Victory Day. It's the anniversary of the Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany, the end of the Second World War. Everyone is awake, and the whole city is one giant, noisy, overwhelming party. I finally spot David. He's brought a few others along, and together we head towards the park, Treptow Park, where the nightingales nest year after year after migrating from Africa, often back to the very same tree. I really don't know what to expect. On the way, David pauses. He tells us he can't guarantee anything. When you deal with nature, anything could happen. Maybe the birds won't sing. Maybe they'll be spooked by all these people. Maybe it'll start to rain. Maybe maybe uh, they'll just be done with singing for the day or for the season. So you never know if anything's if it's going to work the way you expect. There always is the opportunity and likelihood of uncertainty and surprise. Young Russian and German men scuffle around us. They're heading towards Treptow Park as well. There's a famous Soviet monument in there, and the noisy crowds are wandering towards it like pilgrims. It really feels like the worst night to do this. It's cold and wet and unsettled. And there's noise everywhere. Not exactly the magical nightingale jaunt I'd expected. Nevertheless, we march on, disappearing into Treptow Park. Before we go any further, there are some cool and weird things you need to know about nightingales. Just in case, like me before I met David, you thought nightingales were mythical. You know, one scientific paper determined that in the midst of a nightingale song, they make whistles and clicks like boo, 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 so the Megarinkos, the common nightingale, has like up to 200 or 300 separate songs it sings. And Lucinia, Lucinia, the thrush nightingale, has maybe 50 or so. And that one sounds more like a DJ scratching records and more, more jarring and percussive. And the other one has many, many more different kinds of songs. And they have so, um, they, they sing so emphatically throughout the night, on and on and on. And they, they're in the same place every night. So this is also kind of unique. You can rehearse with a bird. You can plan the show and, and be pretty sure that when you go back the night of the show, the same bird's going to be there, ready for you. But it's more than their song range and ability that attracts David to them. It's also their attitude. Because when it comes to the nightingale song, David believes there's more to it than just territorial protection and female attraction. He thinks the nightingale's relationship to music is more complex and maybe more human. 
they make this sound like the sound this kind of bluesy uneven note my friend Korhan calls it the booty sound it's a sound that's that's the sexiest sound scientists have determined females really get excited when they hear this but it's not done that often and one scientist said well what why doesn't the male nightingale just sing the, the booty sound over and over again? Like, you know, duh. It's like a guitarist isn't going to use his wah-wah pedal constantly, unless it's Frank Zappa. But otherwise, you, you, you just do the cool licks once in a while. That gives them their power. And I think the nightingale in his song knows that and uses it a certain per- percentage of the time, just at certain moments. And that's very important to the effectiveness of that sound. But that's just a musical hunch. In silence, we start to make our way through the park. I'm a bit nervous. I'm wondering how I ended up here and how far into the dark park we would be going. If you're not familiar with Treptow Park, it's huge. To borrow an overused analogy, it's about the size of 110 football fields, even though it's plonked in the middle of Germany's biggest city. We walk for a very, very long time, winding through trees, past ponds full of frogs, and soon the sounds of parties and street celebrations fade into the distance. We're all a bit unsure how to behave, whether we can talk, how slow or how fast we should be walking, and what we'll do if we don't find any nightingales. David has finally stopped under a specific tree, and we gather around him. It's almost pitch black where we're standing. At this point, it has started to properly rain, and I'm thinking that the loud Victory Day celebrations and the weather could leave us with no birdsong. And I'm already reeling at the awkwardness of standing in the dark with eight strangers, possibly all having ended up here as I did, completely randomly, and now having to sit through the next half hour in the rain, growing more and more embarrassed for David. Because there's some contention around what David is doing, exactly. And many biologists have doubts. Like, how can he know the birds are responding? How can he know the birds care or compute what he's doing? Well, the answer is he doesn't. I'm interested in figuring out what the best nightingale song would be. And some people would talk about, like, you know, in biology books you read, oh, the bird with the longest song, the most complex song, or the loudest song has the most success at mating, and that's why it evolves through selective pressure, competition against each other for the attention of these females. And in fact, that's only been proven in a very small number of bird species. And in most bird species, like nightingales, there isn't any evidence that the more complex, more varied song leads to any more mating success. The differences are there, but we don't really know what makes the best nightingale song, if there is such a thing. This is why David has spent so much of his life wondering if birds might be closer to humans than we think. Maybe they sing for beauty, for enjoyment, for pleasure, like us. In the forest, David plays a few notes, and we silently wait. Oh, 
later, I went to visit David in Cold Spring. It's the town in upstate New York where he lives. Together, we reminisced about that night in Berlin. It was the first of many nights that David spent in Treptow Park that year. He'd found the bird he connected with the most, his best avian collaborator. This bird was the one, but good things never last. The next year, we're all set. It's midnight. We're going to have a whole concert there. It's like 50 people, and scientists show up. They're ready to record the same bird. Oh, look, you have this whole audience. Oh, we, you know, we, we, we're interested in this bird. This is one of the best ones. Like, I know he's a good one. And, and I said, it's okay, we'll, we'll move. You know, we'll let you know. No, no, you got all these people here. You should stay. Well, wait a minute. Have you been playing with this bird already? Uh, yes, we have. You know, you know. Also, we were sampling the bird. What? You were sampling his own songs, playing it back. That's what really bothered them. It, it was like glimmers of a scientific experiment. And then this great Nightingale scientist, Silke Kipper, said, this bird is ruined for us. This animal is ruined for us. You've tainted him with your non-scientific musical interactions. And, you know, uh, I was very apologetic. And I said, we're going to stay out of Trep Tower Park from now on for this reason, because this is the one place you're studying it. But the other sense, I had to kind of laugh a bit because this this is a noisy park full of midnight parties and people singing and dancing. Like the entire area is tainted by uh, people like these birds hang out with people this is nothing like the wilderness and interesting they picked this area now since that year they have renovated this place where the frogs were i think the pond is gone this year was all under construction so we didn't go back there so i'm not sure the same great bird has come back It's been a couple of years, and David is still making music with nightingales. In fact, he's working on a documentary about his work and his pursuit of the best nightingale song, if there is such a thing. I hope his work continues, because he taught me that your natural habitat isn't always where you're from, or where you feel most comfortable, but simply where you land and decide to build a nest. That story was produced by Selena Shannon. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard all across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.